conceptual media artist, activist, and educator Patrick Lichty joined the Plutopia Live Show for a wide-ranging discussion of current events and the future. We explored migration and borders, climate change, AI and art, and the techno-tsunami of new ideas. When we think of the idea of the future, I think something that's a relatively new thing that I think is really, really interesting called, you know, paleo-future studies. And the idea of what the future, you know, in other words, like the future isn't what it used to be. And, you know, and so what happens, I think part of the questions I was, you know, thinking about and asking was the matter of saying, you know, what was the future now as opposed to what it was? And I think as opposed to 2001 A Space Odyssey, we're now thinking about AI, you know, and it's like, you know, whether we are, whether, whether crypto uh, technology, blockchain technology is actually going to take hold. Um, and, um, you know, really, I think that, I think, you know, in short, um, you know, I think AI is going to transform a lot of things. It reminds me of an event very similar to that when my father, you know, retired over um, computers coming to his uh, insurance office. And I think this is as big of a shift. It's as big of a shift as, um, cell, as smartphones. This is the Plutopia News Network. Our guest tonight is Patrick Lichty. You know Vinay? Patrick's question for us was, do we know Vinay? And yes, we know Vinay. We interviewed him yeah. some time ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, I haven't talked to him in a while directly, face to face, but certainly we uh, encounter him online quite a bit. Yeah, I got, I, I, we got to hang out a bit when he was doing the um, blockchain policy for Dubai. So that was that was interesting. That that was kind of interesting. And uh, we should mention that it's Vinay Gupta that we're referring yes. to. Vinay Gupta, yes. Currently in London. And Vinay is definitely a blockchain maven. Yes, he's <clears throat> materium.com. Yeah, I believe when we had yes. it, uh, putting uh, a Stradivarius on the blockchain, was that it, John? <laughs> yep. That was it, yeah. That was uh, a predecessor of the whole NFT thing, you know. Uh, I think uh, I think he, uh, I think he did Shatner's toupee. Give me a second here, and I will uh, share something that okay will recognize. So there we are. Um, this was our interview with Vinay, um, from global resilience to practical blockchain vision. Sure. We met him here. He was here in Austin for a conference, and we met and uh, um, had this particular interview, which is, I think, the only time we've interviewed him, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Okay. He's a, he's an interesting dude. Well, you're, so have, dude. have you figured out anything useful to do with the blockchain? Uh, well, actually, I, th I think what Vinay was doing with um, – with with dubai was pretty practical in other words basically um um you know doing uh doing uh, governmental uh document indexing and that sort of thing i thought that was actually pretty smart you know so that was that was that was pretty interesting but uh right at the moment you know just uh not much more than you know my uh my cat pictures <laughs> yeah the <laughs> 
I like the idea of the of the document uh, uh, archiving onto the blockchain because yeah, that's actually a really useful thing, especially for a governmental agency or or even a corporation because. You know, these days, you know, litigation is uh, always lurking in the background. Someone's going to demand you produce the documents. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is, I mean, I mean, if you, if you don't lose your wallet, you know, uh, you're, you're going to probably be able to do that. Uh, there's probably plenty that we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. You suggested quite a few things. Uh, I did. Migration, okay. migration and immigration. Well, that was I, one of the things on your list. Yeah, speaking of which, I want to wish a, a quick uh, happy birthday to my to my dear wife who's waiting to do these things, Nagina Tasabian, who's currently still in, in Iran. So um, we're, we we keep we keep putting on the time, but we're going to uh, spend Christmas in the, in Istanbul. Sounds great. Well, oh, yeah. excellent! Happy birthday! Yep. Yeah. And we're, you know, it's, it's been two years and so it'll be, it'll be a good reunion. So that's, that's the thing there. So do you, do you want to talk about that at all about what's been you know, happening there? Um, I mean, really what's, what's going on is we're just stuck in the queue and uh, you know, my, my Senator Amy Klobuchar's um, head of the immigration subcommittee. And I've been kind of uh, active with the uh, local with the state uh, democratic party and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm very active with, with the party now. Um, and um, I got to meet Senator Klobuchar at a at a fundraiser uh, this week, so I'm hoping maybe you know we can do something. We'll see, you know. So I actually got to meet her, and I got to meet you know our representative, who's you know on the Republican Party, uh, Finstad, and you know I'm just basically banging on the wall whenever I can, you know, wanting to come home. Well, down so. here, Texas migration is of course a. Uh, yeah a really big subject and they've just uh you know they're constantly you know trying to pass new le uh, legislation here in texas to you know keep everyone out and uh sure 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 you keep the republicans out but they keep <laughs> they keep showing up <laughs> well this kind of brings me on to kind of like a framing mechanism for this for this um for this evening is that We've got another good friend, Derek Woodgate, who kind of got me interested in this stuff called um, uh, uh, strategic foresight. Um, um, how was it? Uh, strategic foresight analysis and that sort of thing, using various tools and such to try to look at the future. And that got me to go to the, uh, and this is just dipping my pinky in 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 the pool, you know. I mean, nothing nothing more than that. Where Derek's, you know, he runs a he runs an entire lab and works with the Saudis and that sort of thing. But I, you know, I've been I've been trying to do a little bit of study on it. But I took some, uh, their their little introductory classes on um, strategic foresight. And uh, one thing I thought was really interesting was, um, you know, it says that you know there are basically four main indicators uh mega trends trends uh weak indicators like the 2008 um um you know financial uh um um you know financial uh um derivatives and that sort of thing that everybody saw coming but it was just kind of under the radar and then also black swans like the um uh like the pandemic so it's like um so one of the mega you don't see coming yeah so you know, I looked at this idea of megatrends and I thought one of the things that was you know, basically, I think there's four major ones. There's, uh, you know, um, 
urbanization, um, you know, humanization of the landscape, um, technology, ubiquity of technology, and then also migration, which I think is really interesting. So, and so the thing is, we're seeing it on the southern border where the, the thing is, is that, um, you know, in my, um, you know, talking with people and that sort of thing about trying to get various visas and all that sort of thing, I'm noticing that, uh, you know, about half of Schengen is just overloaded, you know, with people coming in, coming in, trying to come in from the east and that sort of thing from everywhere from like Syria, Lebanon, Ukraine, Armenia, all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, and even places like Iran and, and that sort of thing. I think that's kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, we see these things, we see these things in America too. And I think the one thing I think that's really interesting about this, as far as a future trend is that we tend to see some of these things as specific to America, but these are global. Oh yeah. And, you know, so, you know, there are a lot of people who are trying to come to America, but there are a lot of people who are, try are trying to go to a lot of places. And, you know, it's, I think, I think the one thing that's really kind of interesting here is that I think we're sort of seeing um, maybe a strange end to American exceptionalism on a, on a lot of things. And the one thing that um, another framing mechanism that I kind of thought of here is that just a couple of days ago, I saw something that Vinay put up and he said, the old modern world is gone. And, uh, um, he thought that you know a new one is coming and it's basically he he felt that um you know we have to make some decisions as to what that is is what that con what constitutes a you know the the value of of a life whether it's uh you know a western one an eastern one or even a human one or non-human one and um you know in other words um when i look at things kind of at a at a metastructural level this looks like a uh, kind of a values conversation and you know what what do we as a species hold important and um you know and um i think this is interesting um and i have well we're not very consistent about that are we no no and um yeah it's 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 kind of like on one hand we're we all signed the 2015 um uh, 2015 um, Paris Accord, and according to the New York Times the other day, I'm firing a lot of stuff out to put it on the table. That the Western um, Western world by 2030, we're looking to double our our carbon output. So, um, what I'm hoping to do is I'm hoping to kind of set up a little bit of a strange scenario, and then maybe work through it and maybe find some find some find some interesting probabilities that aren't necessarily that dark. Does that make sense? It certainly does. And yeah. In, in what do you think? <laughs> the United States, you know, there, you know the, there are a lot of people who want to do away with the new modern world and return us to feudalism, I guess. It's like people mm. really want to turn the clock back. Well, as Mel Brooks said, it's good to be king. <laughs> you know. Well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, <laughs> we don't really think enough about what it means to have borders. Um, yeah, and that's we kind just of sort of it, it's an assumed thing. It's presumed that we have these borders, and people talk about like, does the United States have open borders? Which, of course, it does not. 
No. But if, if it has borders for sure. The borders are managed and regulated. And why, you know, what determines who who's in and who's out and whether right. you can cross the border or not? And right. what does it mean to have the border? I mean, having this border, it, I, there's an assumption of property. Yes. You know, there's an assumption that there's some, um, well, a sense of ownership, obviously, and a right. sense of governance over a particular area of land. Sure. And some people would like to enter that land and they can't or they are not permitted to. I hear you there. Which is, that's what you're dealing with right now. Yeah. And, and I think it's something that we really have to examine and we really have to think about what that, what that means and, and whether it makes sense to have a border policy of one kind or another. I mean, we really don't have, there hasn't been a, a renewal of the conversation about border policy yeah. within our legislatures. Uh, even though there's constant talk about it and complaints about it. And I know that like the Republican right wing crazy guys are kind of going nuts over, oh, we have open borders. People are coming through. Fentanyl is coming through. Most, you know, I mean, kind of BS because that's not exactly true. Yep. It is true that some people get through the borders, though. Uh, but the whole conversation should be like, what policy should we have about those borders? Right. We don't really, it doesn't make sense to completely just shut them down. And, but and, it also, there's a question about, I mean, if you open the border, if you really had open borders, right. we might be overrun. Is that a possibility? You know, I, um, um, oh, that, that's, that's complex. I think probably not. Indeed. You know, or, you know, I think I think probably not. But also, on the other hand, um, you know, if if we have. Yeah, if we almost start thinking about calculus, you know, if we start having too much of a, you know, a, of a of a rate of input of, you know, of people is that we wind up with, uh, you know, with a lot of imbalances and that sort of thing. And then that that creates, you know, that'll create social disturbance and and. Uh, you know, it's just a matter that I don't think immigration is bad. I think it's just a matter of, say, for example, you know, you have, you know, a lot of people coming in from you know one place or another. Is who are they, and you know how are you know how are they going to integrate into the in the population and things like that, or if they if they intend to. And um, you know, it's uh, you know, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that there is an impact. There is a change. And what does that change? And then how, you know, how does that affect things? I think that the way that the right wing, you know, expresses that is really distorted, you know. Well, their, their apparent concern is that people of color will come into the United States through these borders and forbid. Uh, become voters here and start voting against them, you know. And there are there, you know, the great replacement theory, the sense that they're going to be replaced 
by these people. I mean, what's what's been happening over the years is the majority populations have been growing, uh, certainly happening in Texas and, and other places, too. Right. And at some point, people who are white people who felt that America is a land of white people were right. starting to freak out over this idea that, you know, we have different kinds of people coming in, different cultures being represented. And there was a philosophy of opening up to that. I certainly can embrace in a multicultural philosophy. But I, 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 I'm sensitive to the fact that there are people who are totally freaked out by the idea, you know. Oh, I do. Okay. And, and, and no, we haven't figured out how to have a conversation about it. Yes, yeah. Scoop. What? Sorry. idea of the border didn't really become a big political football until uh, 9-11. That's when everyone became totally frightened that you know, people were going to start, you know, little 9-11 attacks from all uh, of these for, foreign countries. Uh, I, yeah. Foreigners. I grew up in Texas, and the border with you know, the Texas and Mexico was a very loosey-goosey kind of thing. People that live right on the border routinely would be going back and forth casually. they just walk across the, the Rio Grande when it were right. be uh, walked across. And they, and they had businesses on both sides of the border, and it was a very friendly kind of thing. Yeah. They had the Bracero program, which actually allowed people from Mexico to come in, work in agriculture, and then return with their money that they earned to Mexico. It was not a big deal. But when politicians decided that well, they, had, they had to put a stop to this because all the non-white folks were coming over, that pretty much destroyed the, all of these communities along the border that used to have great relations with the people on both sides. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, you know, being that I, that I'm quite familiar with, uh, Texas for a long period of time is that, uh, and as well as other, you know, things with borders, by the way, I, I'll just kind of, you know, mention that the idea of our conventional, uh, set of nation states and borders and that sort of thing was really kind of invented in 1748. I think 1748 with the treaty of Westphalia, which was wonderfully, um, depicted on Saturday Night Live, you know, when they, you know, they kind of, you know, doled out stuff and that sort of thing. And um, and then also further problematized after World War One, the Sykes-Picot Treaty, was it in the 18 or 19, which uh, carved up the Middle East, which is part of our problem today. But, um, you know, it's, uh, um, oh, um yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, this, 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 you know, politicizing the. I think. Well, the thing is, is that what the what politicizing the border does is that politicizes the 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 immigrant body, and uh, the idea of you know, if you think about the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, you know, it was this sort of this this sort of concern of Northern European. Um, you know, residents, you know, about Southern European residents and Irish and things like that. So, and this was, you know, this was a different culture. This was a different socioeconomic class, you know, different, you know, Catholic versus uh, 
Protestant and that sort of thing. So, I mean, you know, it's, it was another, it was another shift and this sort of fear was in place as well. Yeah. You know, great way of gaining political power or financial power is to other, the other, I mean, they're the, the evil ones and we need to give me money or give me political power so I can fight them off. That's a common theme, especially in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. And somehow we got to get people on the same page and it's tough. I mean, right now it looks pretty tough. You've got a terrible polarization in this country. Yeah. And, and it's feeding on itself and, you know, it's, it's, we, we blame the right, but the left is implicated too. Sure. And we really don't have, um, the problem that we have is that the volume is turned way up on the extremes and most people are not that extreme right most people and most people you know they want to live their lives and they're happy to let other people live their lives too right yeah. and they're not you know they're not carrying a chip on their shoulder they're not uh carrying along some pronounced political agenda they are living the life that they know how to live and they're you know when they vote they vote the best they can for what they believe in and their beliefs are based to some extent on the information that they're able to get and right now the the information environment is chaotic so it's harder for people to to get a real handle on what they want to do but you know there's an assumption that because we hear a lot of loud ranting from the right that the right is gaining power but well yesterday's election showed us that that may not be true Uh Uh, in fact there could be a backlash against that stuff because uh, the problem is that as people get power they tend to start misusing it and it starts to be more and more obvious and they get cocky about it and i think what's happening on the right right now is that they're really starting to show the uh the how empty their um agenda really is Mm -hmm. they're they're only trying to take power they're not trying to do effective governance they're not trying to to manage the country or to manage the economy. They're not doing any of that stuff. They're just talking. They're just performing. And that's going to blow up in their faces. Well, they're trying to stay alive. (laughs) Yeah. That's, 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 that's primarily it, you know, and that sort of thing. So, well, um, Here's a strange thing is that, wait, do you you think, do you think that AI is going to save that, save us from that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, uh, yeah. it couldn't go. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> did, 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 did you see the, did you see the and Andreessen uh, manifesto saying that yeah. the technology is going to, you know, is, is fantastic. It's going to save us and all that sort of thing. And, you know, and I, I sure, I believe it. I, you know, the, the one thing I think is really interesting right now about AI is that, um, I mean, I do terribly strange things with it. You know, I mean, right now I've been doing uh, apocalyptic cats and, um, you know, just seeing is seeing, you know, if I throw it some, you know, some strange things, see, see how left to center it'll go driving and it goes pretty far. 
And um, are you using some generative AI system to to create images? Images? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. I right now I'm going between mid. Um, I'm going and using Midjourney, uh, Dolly, and um, actually, you see, this is the thing thing that I think is strange is that generative AI has been integrated into all the you know, Adobe um, uh, graphic products. You know. And, you know, I do find this really sort and then guess what? Within the last week, mobile, mobile, uh, um, mobile um, Facebook Messenger allows you to generate uh, stickers in the in in messenger. So, you know, and so I don't know. I just feel like AI is being integrated into everything. And this has only been a year. You know, well, you know. There's a real question about whether that stuff really is AI. Well, I mean, whether yeah. it is some artificial intelligence or whether it's just a way to to take your query and and give a response that well, in the case of generative text AI, yeah. they're trying to be conversational, right? So they've yeah. learned how to algorithmically provide a conversational response and that's pretty sophisticated stuff right now but it doesn't mean there's a real intelligence there no it it's just generally you're not. making a query and you're getting a response Yo, you want to show us something you've done oh my lord can you uh, share an image let me see here's a can you show us a cat oh or some such yeah let me let me let me see if i can pull some of that up is that uh you know, I, I have some colleagues around here who've been, I, I've been doing a lot of um, research with, uh, you know, Winona State, where I'm at, does a lot of AI research. And we're, we're partners with a place called the uh, Center for Digital Narrative over at the University of Oregon. And I got my colleague, um, Talon Mehmet, and we've got, you know, buddies like, uh, you know, like Scott Retberg and Jason Nelson, who are doing a lot of interesting stuff. But um, let's see here. Let me see if I can find this thing. Uh, Scott Retberg had been doing these things called, you know, the Fin du Monde series, which uh, I think are really kind of interesting. And I got kind of inspired by that. And I just, and um, uh, there are two things that are going on with that is that um, um, I did a, um, let's see here, where, where is this thing? Um, I have a show that's going around called Studio Visits, which is basically this whole, um, uh, exhibition of empty uh empty studios that i started generating um i started generating with uh, with ai and um which i thought was kind of a which was kind of an interesting thing but uh and then i created an entire catalog with the thing saying that you know what if if ai is going to get rid of get rid of artists and why don't we just take care of this now be the curator of these artificial artists and it's currently on display at uh um let's see it's currently on display at uh, uh uc berkeley but the thing that i've been doing lately is that retberg has been doing um these things called the fin du monde series and uh, the end of the world series and um i got kind of in, i kind of got in, uh inspired by those and then just started nice. and started saying well what if what if there's a end of the world with sort of like a uh, a a Godzilla sort of. Um, oh wait a second! I need to. Uh... Here's some questions for you. Okay. 
Well, I I have the other ones here. Let's, let's go do that. I did that just for fun. Yeah, here we go. Oh, no, no, no. Let's why don't we why don't we answer those real quick. Well, uh, we can do that. Let's see. Well, or 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 is that interesting? Uh, or those are those questions interesting? Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they're uh, broad. I mean, what inspires you to create digital art uh, is a pretty broad question, right? Yeah. And how do you use technology to create your your art? We could probably talk about that for hours. Yeah, I know. And uh, challenges well, and rewards of working with digital media. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, how, how, how accurate is this? It says your art often explores themes of identity, memory, and the relationship between humans and technology. You think yeah. that's accurate in, as a I, description of your art? It's, 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 a, it's about. Because 70%. if it is, that means. Well, that yeah. means Google Bard knows you. Well, it it's 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 been good at scraping me. So <laughs> it's been good at scraping me. So you know what what happens is that we wind up seeing these things. You know, and we wind up seeing these things in all of our um, in all of our media. And really, what's what's this going to do? What's gonna, what's this going to do to our society? Yeah, I have a bunch of uh, artist friends who are becoming very irate because they're seeing their actual works appear in some yeah. of the images that are being generated, and you know, the, you know, the, it's it's inevitable that there will be the court cases of plagiarism and uh, copyright infringement and that kind of thing, and sure. That will, will be good for some people, but it'll, it'll definitely you know, put a crimp into the prog you know, in any progress in AI. Right. I mean, and also the other thing, did you see the, um, you know, when the, the Warhol Foundation lost, uh, you know, lost against the Prince Trust, mm. you know, for the use of, of that image of Prince, you know, and basically <laughs> saying that Warhol used for the same intention that the photographer did, you know, for you know, graph, for a representation of Prince, at, at, you know, for at, essentially for profit. The thing is that feeds into, you know, into AI. And the the one thing I think is interesting is that you cannot copyright AI AI images. Now we're only talking about images. I'm just starting to play around with uh, Google's, um, um, you know, Google's uh, um, Audio Lab. And generate, you know, generating uh, music with that, which is really kind of MIDI-ish, you know, from the '90s. You can you can kind of understand I, that. I, that, uh, you know, how is that uh, uh, done? I, I, that's that's a new one. Audio is my thing. That's what I yeah I'm doing. And, and then and then a friend of mine, my my friend Ta Talon Mehmet, he's done something amazing. He's he's taken speeches that he's done. You know, he's he's a you know, he's an amazing person, you know, he, you know, he's uh, learning to live with a tracheotomy and he, um, you know, he's, he's trained AI voice models, you know, with his prior, prior voice and using it in his video art. And I think that's really amazing, actually. Um, you know, so that's, you know, he's been doing amazing work doing that. And then, um, you know, and then also the text-based stuff, you know, that's, you know, that's really um, a little bit scary um, at that point. We ought to have another time on another thing with our uh, our VR goddess of, of all time, uh, Brenda Laurel. 
Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. That'd be that'd be. You know, we haven't really we haven't had Brenda on the podcast. I just realized that. You know what? You really should. Absolutely makes sense to have her here. Yeah. So the 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 one thing that I I tried just for just for kicks is that I tried to have um, Chat GPT write 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 a college essay for me, and I got that to do. And mm-hmm. then I had to try to grade it. Mm. So I hope you see the irony of that. You know, in other words, we're we're trying in in the acad- in the academy trying to deal with this idea of students dealing with AI, but you know, the, the whole thing is, is that, you know, I, I just see this kind of interesting sort of recursion of uh, a button pushing, you know, and then, and, and then, um, you know, but then my friend who runs the fish farm south of Dhaka in Bangladesh, you know, is probably going to be coming up a little short shrift. Don't you think? Yeah. You know, and this is kind of what I think Vinay is. I'm looping back. I'm kind of what Vinay is starting to look at, you know. And there was like sort of looking at kind of the Cloudminder society, you know. And the thing I think is very interesting is that part of what I was getting at here is that, um, what was it? Um, You know, I think this is kind of what I call exponentialist culture. And there's this idea of something that expands so fast that it overwhelms everything. So I think that kind of started first with the idea of the metaverse. Well, it started with NFTs and crypto. Of course, when, you know, when um, uh, Bitcoin, you know, shot up so high. And then, you know, merging that with VR, which, of course, Zuckerberg wanted to do to create the metaverse. And then, you know, which then, you know, reinforces the blockchain. And then on top of that, you know, we have this stuff with AI. And I think what we have is we have this cascade of of um, of technological advances that are moving so fast that the technocrats involved at the top are you know, are taking advantage of that exponential speed and leverage to basically just come through and just sweep Um you know, sweep through everything while everybody's dazzled and don't know really what's happening yet. And I think this is kind of an interesting thing that's trans that has a potential for transforming Western, you know, first world culture. And um, the thing is, is that, you know, I don't look at, you know, the idea of crypto, blockchain, VR, metaverse, AI as one thing. I'm looking at it as, as a, as a, as a chain of tsunami of techno tsunamis, which are, I think could possibly really um, transform Western culture. You, do you think the transformation will be positive or negative because transformations can go either way. And some of these things, you know, I have friends who invested heavily in cryptocurrency and uh, they're now living in cardboard boxes basically because it, well, hopefully, hopefully they're very nice. <laughs> They're very nice cardboard boxes, but well, this is the thing, isn't it? This is the thing with exponentialism. You know, this is the thing. It's it goes up the asymptote, and then it either evens evens out or it crashes. You know, it's it's a spike, and one leads to another, leads to another, and um, 
Well, this leads to another little philosophical uh, thing that's going on is that, I mean, say, for example, and I really cannot comment on the Middle East at this time just because of the fact that, um, you know, I have too much invested right. in on both sides. And I really can't comment on it, uh, even though I am an activist. and I do have my opinions, but I really can't comment in public. Um, I think that part of what you know i i go back to this idea in the foresight studies there was like this idea of probabilities and part of this is based on taking our values and putting it into possibilities and trying to you know kind of skew the probabilities of the future and this is something that i thought was a really interesting proposition that the dubai future foundation put forward so <laughs> when I look at this, I look at, you know, the current, you know, technoculture. And the one thing is almost like sort of like the cyborg culture. And this is actually something I'm kind of pointing back to you, something you and I have talked to a great deal, John. Um, you know, this idea mm -hmm. of our, our interweaving with technology. But I think what happens is that um, cyber culture at this point is so woven in with a sense of... Um, you know, cynical pessimism. And I think that's built from like the echo chamber. Um, I'm wondering whether the choice to have an aggressive sense of hope, you know, as a willful sense of hope, which is almost, you know, a, a an irrational sense, an irrational hopefulness, you know, to be something that could possibly inspire other people. You know, to to say that you know we don't have to we don't have to be, you know, involved in this you know in this incredibly negative, um, snarky space. You know, where we just kind of say ah, it doesn't matter and you know, nothing matters and it's all going to crash anyway. And let's just you know fire off some some shit posting. But the thing is, is that saying well, I think there's a difference between that and being practical, and look at the facts and say you know things. Things, things do not look so great. But also, on the other hand, is that if we don't imagine, you know, other futures like um, like Fuller wrote about, you know, we're going to go there. You know, in other words, if we give up and say, you know what, we're screwed, well, we're, we are. Well, and I think it's a question of power, really. Uh, political you know, we, the Well, not just political power, but personal power. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to a conversation the other day. It was a, like a podcast, recent podcast episode that Doug Rushkoff did with Mitch Horowitz. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Horowitz was kind of talking about, you know, the, the question about whether it's realistic and rational to wish for something yeah. and whether, uh, whether wishes can actually, whether you can manifest your wish. What Doug said, and I think there's, you know, there. That's a, it's a discussion to have about how you take power to make a thing happen. Right. Um, there's kind of an almost occult sense around the right wing thing that's been happening, and and yeah, uh, there was someone I had read something once about. The question about like whether Donald Trump was actually influenced by the occult, but a fairly broad sense of the occult is, is just being able to take power or persuade or to, you know, yeah. 
uh, get people to follow you, that sort of thing. I mean, there's a kind of mojo to that, really, to be able to form a cult like Trump has done. So why don't we form a very positive cult? The Plutopian cult. Yeah, the Plutopia cult. We joke about how we'd really like to get our cult going, you know. But, and I don't know that it's, I mean, it's not us specifically, but I would certainly like to think that I could pull together whatever psychic energy I have and commit it to the manifestation of something that is more for the for the good of all, you know, kind of try to create a uh, manifest a social good rather than manifesting uh, an evil sort of uh, outcome that is totally self-serving. I mean, I think a lot of the problem, the problem of evil really is related to the problem of of complete selfishness and completely self-serving acts. So you, you know take somebody like famously Trump is like that. He like it, it, everything he does, he tries to do it to his own benefit. Uh, a more saintly person, it would be like everything they do, they try to do for the benefit of as many as possible. Right. 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 I think one thing that you're talking about here makes a very good point. In other words, the idea of someone who is self-centered as being something that's that's a, that's a very that's a very concrete thing as opposed to evil, which is very metaphysical and, and and indistinct. So the one thing is, is that I think that if we kind of look at things in terms in terms of these concrete notions and think about, you know, how these, you know, how these, how we can engage with mm-hmm. them as opposed to saying, oh, that's just evil. You know, I think that that is something where we can have a foothold. Yeah. I mean, it's a, always a question of who benefits and mm-hmm. the problem I have, I don't really have a, problem with republicans as republicans i mean the certainly what they were before anyway uh or the idea of being a conservative or whatever but what i i see today within that party and within the areas where they have been able to take power they're not working for the common good they're not working for they're not trying to do effective governance or to like manage things effectively they're mainly just out doing performative bullshit to try to to accelerate their own power you know it's ideology and, uh, yeah yeah, yeah well i mean it's not just ideology it's actually sort of like pure pure will to be greedy you know yeah, I don't even see it as being the Republican Party anymore. I grew up in a heavy Republican household, yeah. and that was the old Republicans that you know they they cared about business and yeah. saving money and all that good stuff. But uh, they really need to just give a name that uh, that it deserves, and that's the fascist <laughs> party. You know, people have been trying to do a fascist party in the United States since 1920s, and they're getting close to it now. That's that's very interesting, you know, and I mean, it 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 leads me to think of how, you know, um, you know, how we're, you know, how how we're going to lead our lives. I mean, you know, say, for example, I think about automation and whether that's actually going to cause, a, you know, kind of a general minimum income. And you know, I'm reading now I'm reading Marks for Cats, which is basically talking about species class struggle. 
uh, between cats and people. <laughs> And so anyway, that's very interesting. You know, a, I'm I'm reading a, a science fiction. It's a, it's a new. I was going to say I'm reading a science fiction novel that has characters in it that are animals, basically, yeah. but they're intelligent animals and they're part of the community. Yeah, but you know, it's it's very funny. Is that Marx express expressed as cat human species 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 dialectics, and um, you know. And maybe, maybe some, I think maybe some of the hope is through, you know, um, this, this idea of, um, you know, taking these, what Gibson would call lateral strategies, you know, and it's like, they, you know, and I think was it in Idoru or something somewhere in the bridge uh, thing, talking about, you know, people going lateral, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a, riot or something like that meaning going in a direction that you don't imagine i mean that that and the thing is i don't say for good or for bad you know i think what ha I, I think this is kind of too little too easy i think the idea that saying that in, in in many ways i sometimes think the notion of good or evil has become too simplistic you know it it's especially with you know the you know the the series of wars going on at the moment the idea of saying that you know saying that this these people are good and those people are bad and and you know there's this black and white i, I i'm looking at this thing almost like seeing you know uh, i used to play dungeons and dragons seeing a 20-sided die and uh, saying a 20-sided dice and saying um hey that's good mm. oh my god Remember the Alamo. The old ones remember the Alamo. Oh my God, I've spent so That's much. That's something that Bruce Sterling posted on Flickr. I'm not sure what the source is. There you go. That that had come from Bruce. Definitely. Go ahead. <laughs> That's great. I love it. You know. So you know, um, what's 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 Bruce been saying about this sort of thing lately? I don't know. I haven't been talking to him. But we'll be talking soon. We'll have our state of the world in January. That's true. I'll be, and I'm I'll, sure there'll be a lot to say. I know. Well, you know, the thing I think is interesting, and this is why you know I kind of brought up this idea for moving forward. You know, looking forward is the fact that there's just been so much change in 2023, and you know, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether people are going to enjoy this talk or whether it's, you know, or whether there's, you know, we've got bright and dark spots, but um, you know, I'm just wondering about, you know, really kind of where we've been and um, you know, and we have some things like, you know, NFTs, believe it or not, NFTs are not dead. <laughs> they're not dead. I think everybody thinks they're dead. And I think, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm in the fine art world. And there are a lot of people trading this stuff around. There are a lot of groups that are based off of different different forms of NFTs. It's definitely still a thing. And the Tezos Foundation made a agreement with a number of European um, museums, um, you know, to work with uh, blockchain art. Um, there are a number of um, um, shows up at the moment. Uh, Tina Rivers Ryan at the Albright Knox in, in Buffalo very much behind this sort of thing she's you know she's one of the senior curators there um you know this this is this is very interesting but um you know but then on the other hand this notion of the metaverse that seemed to have gone real sideways down don't you think well get zuckerberg well 
Let's go sideways on almost anything he's involved with. The meta Zuckerberg. The metaverse. The metaverse. I mean, it's it's never going to be broad. It's going to be more niche. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be people who want to be in uh, 3D virtual realities, or you know, if not true three dimensional, but you know, simulated three dimensional or whatever, something like Second Life. And yep. uh, we talked to uh, 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 Jim Al not long ago, and he oh, yeah? uh, has written this book about the metaverse. I love that and book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's clear that, that there's a large number of people who are, who are making use of, what you would call metaverse technologies, you know, things like yeah. Roblox and Fortnite, Fortnite and Second Life and so forth. Yep. But if if uh, Zuckerberg thought that the average like housewife who uses Facebook to connect with her friends is going to want to go into some kind of metaverse and yeah. hang out there, I think he was sorely mistaken. Ready, and ready, I, and ready. I think that it's telling that that early on when when people were first starting to talk about VR and trying to create fairly complex environments, that the more popular, probably the most popular mode of communication through the Internet was text, yes. just plain text. Yeah, I think people really want to have a a degree of simplicity in, in the way that they're connecting and they, they don't want something that's heavy, you know, or that, uh, and that's like liable to be bandwidth intensive. Yeah. Uh, and this like be slow and this liable to be clunky. And that's you know, where you manifest as something that doesn't look quite human <clears throat> versus just reading somebody's words, you know, yeah. sharing experiences through text. Well, Johnny, so the smartphones are you know, the way people use smartphones are a good example of you know, they don't really call on the voice function. You know that you can actually make phone calls on those smartphones. Amazing, <laughs> but most people are using text, and it's amazing how that has you know, the primary method of communication by that phone. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we've had funny situations with, like, my wife and I were. She'll like be sending somebody a text to find out, you know, are we going to meet in an hour or something like that, and say, "Man, I hope they see the text and respond." And I say, "Why don't you just call them?" And then she looks at me and she says, "That's really funny coming from you, you know, because yeah, right? she kind of expects me to be the one who wants to to leverage the the internet based technology." But, you know, sometimes the phone call makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, see, that what, what's what's really interesting to me is that this, is that consider when I'm talking with my family, you know, they're behind firewalls and that sort of thing. So, you know, we, we there's a couple of programs we're able to use. But the thing is, I'm unable to use video most of the time, you know, so we're either texting, we're either texting or using audio. So, I mean, this is what's practical. You know, so I actually do use it as a phone, actually. <laughs> you know, I do. You know, the interesting thing I'm seeing 
the the trend that I'm seeing is away from big into more small and niche. You know, instead of getting on one big like Facebook kind of thing where everybody's there and you're trying to like uh, hold a large number of people, large number of connections and so forth, uh, going on to something like Discord where there's just a few people hanging out or going into like instead of having Twitter being this big centralized system yeah. where everybody shows up and you see all the journalists and you see all the celebrities and so forth. Yeah. Now people are going to Mastodon and, yeah. and it's, you know, Mastodon is, is uh, uh, a more complex structure in a sense in that there are a lot of servers and they're not all necessarily yeah. sharing everything, you know, Federated and, but you're able to, yeah and you're able to find the people that you need to find i mean you you can have a great experience on mastodon people are the people i know are are saying wow this is like this is like what we really thought the internet was going to be well you know i i I discovered a uh a a venue that uh, surprised me it's called a bar and (laughs) go out there you go the actual you know uh human beings uh, and partake in fermented vegetable uh, products. Uh, Great invention. uh, I wonder if it's going to catch on. Yeah, I hear that's been around for a while. It's been known to happen. I hear it's been around at least since 2004. (laughs) Yeah. So So we've got a few minutes left. Uh, What's your departing wisdom for us? Oh, my departing wisdom. Well, wisdom is nothing that I did. Especially my students. I think they're kind of crazy for talking to me for wisdom. But anyway, but what happens is, um, you know, um, which probably makes me a a decent professor. I don't know. Um, Well, I, I think what has gone on is that I, I like to go back to a story that, you know, um, John was at, you know, when we were at the um, uh, EFF party at uh, South by and Bruce just kind of mm-hmm. says like, you know what, this isn't the dystopia that I wrote about. And this is something that, um, you know, and the thing that I think about is that um, I think that when we think of the idea of the future, I think something that's a relatively new thing, I think is really, really interesting called, you know, paleo future studies and the idea of what the future, you know, in other words, like the future isn't what it used to be. (laughs) And, you know, and so what happens, I think part of the questions I was, you know, thinking about and asking was the matter of saying, you know, what was the future now, as opposed to what it was. And I think, as opposed to 2001 a space odyssey we're now thinking about ai you know and it's like you know whether we you know whether whether crypto um technology blockchain technology is actually going to take hold um and um you know really i think the i think you know in short um you know i think ai is going to transform a lot of things it reminds me of an event very similar to that when my father, you know, retired over um, computers coming to his uh, insurance office, and I think this is as big of a shift. It's as big of a shift as um, so, as smartphones, yeah. um, and and social media. I think bigger actually. 
But the thing is, is that I'm just kind of wondering how big the disruption is going to be. And um, it'll change. It's definitely going to change things. But I'm just kind of wondering, you know, whether it's going to, um, you know, how it's going to shift employment, uh, world markets, and so on. And so anyway, uh, have I rattled on for too long? Should I just shut her down? We just not, not too long, but we have reached the end. We just have okay. to, we're well, all. I think, I think what goes on is that I think, hey, gang, see you later. I think that the, I think the future isn't what we used to think it was. I think it's going to be interesting and I think we should have hope for it. But keep our eyes wide open. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, yeah, it was great to see you. Great to talk to you. And let's yeah. do it again soon. Awesome. OK, man. You can follow the Plutopia News Network at Plutopia.io. On Facebook, go to at Plutopia News. On Twitter, it's at Plutopia. With John Lepkowski, I'm Scoop Sweeney. This is the Plutopia News Network, 20 minutes into the future.